A smile is the chosen vehicle for all ambiguities. Herman Melville He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah. Hello everybody and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook the movie and the Silver Linings Playbook the book. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, back for another week. This is episode 61, but 60 weeks, that means we have been doing this over a year. And you can probably tell from the sound effects, I clearly have not learned still to isolate the audio so it doesn't pick up my random computer noises. We are very excited to come here, and yes, I talk about myself in the plural possessive sense because I act like this is far more legit than it is. It's good practice for the future. All right, but we really do have a very special guest this week. Uh, One, for my listeners, since we are all usually just... Very sad and lonely, isolated comics that spend most of our time alone. We have an actual real-life person who interacts with other people, uh, like a real person, in a professional manner. Um, She is a fantastic Twitch streamer, and uh, she does gaming and watches anime, and I know she's seen the movie Silver Linings Playbook, and we are going to have her on to talk about maybe getting a different perspective on this favorite movie, which has had a very, very male-centric interpretation for the last 60 weeks straight. So without further ado, please let me welcome this week's special guest. Uh, I am going to refer to her by her Twitch handle because that's where you should look her up. Uh, K-City. Hello. How are you? I'm just fighting back the laughter from the intro. I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. You, you're welcome to laugh if you want. You um, probably like everybody else. They have been told I have a Silver Linings Playcast theme podcast, and nobody really believes it until they hear it. Right. Well, um, it's not the like cute little intro part that I, th- I think is adorable of you singing. But the, the like, introduction of me part where you're, like, the only, or not the only, we, fuck, 60 weeks of male-centric, is that how you phrased it? It is. Um, perspective on this movie? You haven't had a woman on at all in 60 weeks? Okay, so also, to be fair, I have only had two guests ever, okay. and it's okay. my two best friends, too. Uh, they're both my writing partners. So you were... You were sort of the first outside of my specific comedy writing circle, stand-up comics Hmm. guests, Um, and we were super excited uh, because you have seen the movie, correct? Yes, I have. And what did you? What did you think about it? Um, It's a really underrated movie, I think. The first time I watched it, I guess I kind of took it for granted, but the second time I watched it, it really hit home because there's a lot about mental health in there that I didn't realize the first time I watched it. Yeah, if you slow down, that's one of the things I like about the film, too. I think it has a really sort of 
uh, a a healthy theme of covering very realistic and relatable mental health issues in the context of a sort of cute little romantic comedy film. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's it's very dark. I think sometimes people don't even get the initial how dark it is until they, you watch it with that second viewing of, oh, these they're not just being sarcastic to each other. Yeah. That's kind of what happened with me the first time I watched it. I... I mean, it was 10 years ago, right? I had no idea. I thought it was like a comedy, a romantic comedy. I didn't get the him being bipolar. That didn't make any sense to me the first time I watched it. I had no idea that that's what they were trying to portray. I actually even forgot that he was in a mental institute until we watched it the second time. It's a really, it's, it, it's really brushed over in the film, right? He just sort of wakes up there. Mm-hmm. And then he's out, um, sort of reintegrating to his normal life, right? Is it different in the book? It's very different. He he does uh, get out of it at the beginning, but he spends five years there in the book. In the book? In the movie, he's only in there for about six to eight months, and it's sort of a temporary, uh, it's um, something he has to go do because he gets arrested and... It's part of his his uh, I'm blanking on the word making up to the for the court thing, but in yeah. the book he's in there for five years, and part of the book is about him also dealing with not just him wanting to get back to his uh, his ex wife and the love story. He's also dealing with a world that has changed for five years that he's not used to. The sports team has new players and, you know, sports is a big theme in that movie. And so sort of like to, to feel like you went to sleep and then you woke up and all your favorite people from this thing are just yeah. other people. And it's, it's fascinating. Now, one of the things that I'm super interested in, and let's just jump into my favorite theme. You might not remember the specific moments as much as I do. And mm-hmm. so I will walk you along through it um oh oh also i said so we we haven't had any women guests on here specifically yet but i have had uh one of my friends who was a guest conrad i got his girlfriend to answer questions as well okay two weeks ago and what i want to do is i want to start interviewing couples together because what i'm so fascinated about this film is I want to find out when men feel that the sort of romantic side of the relationship blossomed. Mm-hmm. And I want to know when women feel it. Because one of my favorite things about this film is I think that there is a portrayal of an actual strong uh, platonic for a while and healing uh, friendship that blooms between the two. Yeah without jumping right into a romantic, we're pursuing each other uh, for, for eternity. And I've, I know personally, I have found, when I first watched this film, I was a really dumb boy with very limited experience in these things. And so I was just like, oh, it's a love story. She showed any interest in him. She was clearly romantically interested in him. 
And I, see, I love your laughing because I feel like that means you know exactly the problem that I was having and that I think so many men in society today have. We're not trained to know the difference between any attention being romantic attention. And there's wonderful things that are available that are sometimes just friendship, too. Yeah. Right? So do you have any feelings or any memories off the top of your head when you feel like each of the characters fell in love with one, one another as opposed to just sort of enjoying the company of one another? Um, so I think it's a... All right. The When I first... Not when I first... When I watched it the second time... The first time I didn't even think about it. But when I watched it the second time... Um, I think the moment that he realized he was in love with her was the moment that he realized that she had been writing him or that she wrote the letter to him yes. that was supposed to be from his wife. Um, and then the moment that she fell in love with him and it's one of my least favorite scenes. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the scene where like she realizes that he thinks that she's more mentally handicapped than he is. And um, she like gets up and storms out of the diner and he goes after her. Uh, and then he kind of has a moment of vulnerability and she's like, oh shit. And she turns around cause she does this thing where she accuses him of harassing her, which is awful cause he didn't. And he was trying to get away from her and she was like holding him to him and she was like, get off of me. Um, yeah. that, that part was really awful. But after that, there's an important part where the song plays that he associates with his wife cheating on him, but also the song that played at his wedding. And she stops what she's doing because she realizes that he's, like, actually not this asshole, that he's just a broken person like she is. And then she goes to, like, help him calm down. And then she tells the police officer, like, no, the kids were fucking around. It's fine. I think that's probably when she she fell in love with him. There's a part of me that wants to say it was when Mm -hmm. um, he told that dude to, like, leave her house because she's a bird with with a... broken wing and she needs to be mended but not mended by him yes um but i think that's probably when she first like opens herself up to him maybe not Mm -hmm. necessarily when she falls in love i could not love your answer more one because uh it is thorough and specific and i think if this was our movie that was the moment that i would have fell in love with you um but so I'll tell you, I've I've had the feedback from my friend's girlfriend, Danielle, uh, gave her answer, and I've I've not had actual guests, but I have talked to friends by text that I wanted to bring on here. So I have the feedback from two other people. I think most of the women have largely uh, hovered around the idea of that scene where where Pat does make that man go away uh, uh, because he does that just uh, to be a good person. He does not know Tiffany is watching at the moment. So it's sort of a moment where he's, but I love your answer so much too, because I feel like you have a different level of, of understanding about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I will say, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to give you any uh, more uh, 
description or intro than what I did earlier because every person's full story is theirs to own and tell as they wish and say it. But I'll say uh, the the people that have given that other answer, I definitely think um, might have might have had happier backgrounds. If that makes sense. Or something. All I'm saying is my personal knowledge about how you are and who you are as a person. Yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, I get it. I, I don't want to make assumptions about other people's uh, past or any kind of traumas that they've been through. But as as a person who suffers with some similar mental health issues that these two had um, or have present because mm-hmm. it's a it's still a book uh and a movie it's just you have a different kind of understanding relationships are different as a whole the dynamic completely changes when you have people with mental health issues it's a moment that i watched totally differently from 10 years ago when it first came out when when they have the conversation about you were comparing our illnesses you thought you were a higher class of mm-hmm. that um, I, I was sure that that was sort of like a deep moment. It was probably good writing, but there was no connection I had to that idea, uh, 10 years ago. And now so much, I even, one of, one of my personal flaws, I think, and something I have to constantly remind myself is that those of us that have different struggles, we're not in competition with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, and that's an instinct. That's just one of those sort of human preservation things. Uh, that it makes us feel that sometime where we'll get defensive or compare, but, but we need to get over that because one, that's how they got together. Especially if that's the moment that you identified, they fell in love with each other, uh, which is so sweet. So now I have another question. This is more specific to of a question. Okay. So I will ask it. And if you don't have an answer right now, you can think about it and we will circle back to it later. Um, the, the whole plot of the film sort of starts off with Pat is trying to get back with his ex-wife, Nikki. Mm -hmm. He eventually does run into her at the dance competition at the end of the film. I think we, depending, you know, um, we all might have different parts where we feel like they fell in love, but they've probably solidly are in love with one another at that point. Right. He, whispers something to her in her ear before running out to basically profess his love to Tiffany. Do you have any guesses what he said to his ex-wife? I think there's like this hopeful, optimistic part of me that wants to say that it was like an apology for just how bad it used to be. Because he did say that their relationship dynamic was very toxic. They, like, fought a lot, but they would always make up, and there was just, like, this fire there because they were fighting all the time. It sounded like like a that Eminem and Rihanna song. I don't know if you know which one. I know about. exactly the one. Yeah. Uh, that's I love what, the way you lie. Yeah. I feel like that's how he described his relationship with her. Um, and he he probably had that realization, and decided that he needed to apologize for how he was in the past. Okay. This, this is why we need a diversity of views to be represented in everything. 
because I've tried to be as open-minded and come up with every angle as I can for things, but we're limited by the, the experiences we have in our own knowledge and biases, right? Yeah. So what you said makes so much sense, and I can see that for the character. My guess was always something that took far less accountability for his own behavior. But I think you're correct. I think that given his sort of self-awareness blooming throughout the story, that does seem like something that he would uh, grow into being able to do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I like from the book that is sort of a big theme that he keeps reiterating in the book that does not really get played out in the movie just because they didn't have time to include another theme because it's already a chock full of uh, symbology movie is that in the book he says one of the things he worked on really hard in his therapy at the at the institution to try to help with his himself and his wife is focusing on being kind instead of being right and so during a lot of the times where he is feeling himself enraged when he thinks he's sort of being um angry but for virtuous reasons he's having to remind himself that every situation isn't calling for him to uh, fix something in a technical sense sometimes it's more important to just be kind to those people in front of you and i think that that is definitely uh a case where where yeah we i i think i was looking at this as a man thinking like oh he's this story is about him and he needs to get his ex-wife back. Mm-hmm. And I totally discounted the the whole part about how, yeah, he admits that he, it was a toxic relationship, probably with both parties. He was insane, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, he the way that he talks about it isn't necessarily like, oh, yeah, the relationship was shitty. He talks about it from a romanticized perspective. Like, yeah, we had, like, our ups and downs, but that's, like a part of our relationship dynamic. It was hot, but that's not his exact wording. That's just how he made it seem to me. Yeah. Anyways. No, but you're, you're so right. Cause when you, when you put that sort of uh, reading of it and he was basically being like, we were crazy, but that was hot. Um, mm-hmm. But also it's okay to like, not have uh, a terrible time be like that <laughs> too okay now the most important question of all uh, i'm gonna play a quick clip which is my favorite clip from the movie it's why i fell in love with it it can still be a date if you order raisin bread. <laughs> that's when i fell in love with the movie i the first time I was watching it, I probably wasn't even watching it that closely. It was one of those sort of like have on in the background mm-hmm. movies. And I heard that line and it won me over completely. Cause I think the writing of that is so good because I can, I've, I'll say I've been philosophically debating this with people for years and I side with Tiffany. I, I do. I think Pat's wrong, but I see sort of the male thought process of if I just order a breakfast cereal, it keeps this far more generic. It's not like the sweet thing, right? No, no, I don't, I don't understand that perspective at all. 
This comes from a place of having a lot of like bad dates and also like going to hang out with people. I have more frequently than not had it clarified beforehand whether or not it was a date. It wasn't dependent upon what we were ordering or how we were acting. It's always like, do you want to go get something to eat? And then I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they're like, oh, uh, is this a date? And then I'm like, oh, is it? It can be, or it could just be two friends hanging out. But what you order absolutely has no <laughs> fucking effect on whether or not it's a date or just like two friends grabbing food together. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I was, <laughs> what, when you said that to me, when you like, I forget exactly how that conversation went the first time, but it absolutely has no bearing on whether or not it's a date. I don't I, care what anybody says. That's I, the worst logic in the world. You're, I, <laughs> I agree. I've, I've also I've grown, and and I also personally am trying harder to be kind instead of right all the time. So it's not a thing. It's not a sword I need to fall on or a hill I need to die on. Mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm saying, so actually this is why this film is so interesting to me though. You bring up something that I am on a mini crusade of to try to, I don't want to say that I feel obligated to make men better. I simply want to live my life and give advice to my friends that helps them be better, right? And one of those things is I think it is very important in today's society with how messy and poor so many people are at relationships. I think that one party, and it can be the, the, the man or the woman or a man and a man or anybody involved, somebody should make a declaration that a date is going to be a date. At, prior to it commencing as best, but I think it's a clarification that should really happen as soon as possible. Um, because I think it can lead to very messy, uh, hurt feelings or misunderstandings, uh, with the frequency that people just sort of hang out. Right. Um, do you, so now I completely agree. Yeah. Have, because have you ever encountered that where you, where? Because I understand too. I get that it's a little scary. It's hard to ask people because we can get rejected, and that hurts when you're young and you're supposed to do it so that you learn to do it, and you learn to to be ballsy enough to make that tiny tiny gesture, right? But has that ever happened to you too, where you've sort of been like, oh, we should go do this thing or something, or somebody has asked you. And you get to a point where somebody feels it's a date and somebody does not, but you didn't know that until later? Yes. And um, how did that transpire? Well, so, fuck. I don't... Um, you can make up details. I'm not going to make up details. I was interested in a guy. I was like, I wasn't even old enough to drink legally. I was 18 or 19 years old. So this has been quite a while now. Um, And 
I was going through this phase in my life where I just like wanted to be wanted. I wanted to be loved. And um, I was going to try to get that in any way that I could. Consensually, obvious. Absolutely. Um, and this guy had made it known to me prior to us going out. So this is like what you were talking about earlier. He did make it known to me that he had feelings for his ex and that he was not looking for romance. Um, I feel like I got mixed signals though when we actually were hanging out because he would try to hold my hand and we would actually end up holding hands and he was really, um, flirty with me. It seemed like he wanted more than friendship. Yeah. That that may have been a misinterpretation on my part, but um, I thought that it was a, a date. When we finally went out, I thought it was a date, and it was not. It was it was a friendship hangout, which was something that I hadn't done before. How did you find out? Did he did he tell you point blank at some time, or did you? misinterpret um, my asking. I mean, after the date slash not date, <laughs> I, um, I brought it up to him. I was like, uh, so do you want to go on another date? And he was like, what? And I was like, do you want to go on another date? And he was like, another date. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm free, uh, the weekend after next. And then this date and that date. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't go on a date. What are you, what are you talking about another date? And I'm like, what? And then I felt really embarrassed. But we were close enough that it didn't make things awkward. We, we were just friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Someone should make it known. But sometimes you have to be harsh about it. Like, absolutely sometimes you have to really put it in black and white and try not to give any mixed signals don't try to hold people's hands if you're telling them that you're just friends and you're not going to be more than friends don't hold their hand that's not something that friends do i'm I getting mean, mixed signals from your date not date now yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't even hold hands with like my friends uh, like in high school and middle school, I know there are a lot of movies that show girls holding hands and like running together and stuff like that. I never did that. Um, <laughs> you don't run through fields with, with girls skipping? No, I didn't have field, like... um, an affectionate childhood. So I haven't really been an affectionate person my whole life. I mean, I'm getting there. I'm getting better at it. But um Th that felt like something intimate to me, not something that friends do, which is why I felt like I was getting mixed signals. Definitely make it super clear. Like, this is a date or this isn't a date or phrase it like, would you go on a date with me? Do you want to go on a date with me? Instead of, do you want to go get something to eat? Do you want to go get something to drink? Because it's just, I don't understand why people use, uh, how do I phrase this? Language that beats around the bush. Just be direct. And I know rejection is scary, but the only way to get past that is to get through it. And the the literal worst thing that can happen is someone says no. <laughs> and that's it. It's not like you're going to set on fire 
It's not like your house is going to fall down or you're going to lose your job or, I mean, unless you're asking your boss out. Don't ask your boss out. Um, but I feel like it's, it's really not an end of the world thing to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, don't ask your, your boss out. I try, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, Oh, no. Wow, you're laughing really hard at that. No. By the way, no, but we don't work <laughs> together at all. Except now, I guess we do professionally because we are on the same podcast, the Silver Linings Playcast. Uh, I was now I was just going to tell a story about when I uh, was working community service for a while for some crimes that I had commit, and then I was, uh, you know, I was living in London, Wait. working in community service, and one night it was very stormy, uh, and me and four of my other uh, associates we all were caught in a lightning storm and it killed our community <laughs> service advisor right a couple weeks later i started uh developing romantic feelings for the new supervisor who got brought in who i f later found out was just texting me on a, i'm also making all of this up for other people uh mm -hmm. who have not seen the misfits which i'm i've only started watching um, I told you this, this gets off the rails. It's not, it's, it's silver linings centric, but not completely encompassing. Yeah. So, no, but I, so I, I was going to ask you what crimes you committed. Cause I had no idea that you were a felon. And then I, then I realized, oh, okay, this is a TV show. Yes, I'm not nearly that exciting. Uh, also I'm smart. I am clever enough to not admit my crimes publicly, on a podcast uh we can talk about that later um or not i don't know google if this this podcast in and of itself is probably the biggest crime against decency of trying to stretch the premise that started as a joke into 60 weeks of content with no indication of letting up so far uh, i've wasted so many people's time anyway let me let me get back to something that I, th I think is interesting and productive because what you said was very enlightening and I think uh, very interesting and it's exactly what I was talking about about sort of like I don't feel like I'm in an authoritative position to train men on how to be better in that situation but it's sort of the advice I would give to my friends like oh if my buddy was like oh I sort of feel this way I'd like to ask a girl out and, and so I always tell them I'm like just be deliberate right mm. like you yes your feelings might get hurt for a moment but do you know what hurts your feelings more than being rejected for a date uh finding out your significant other is cheating on you four years into a loveless marriage because you guys never had any personal connection because everything was was you know based on lies and just accepting the status quo and the easiest path of least resistance during courtship right yeah that's gonna hurt so so get that no up front um part, part of why i feel so strongly about sort of this element of the courtship though the whole asking on dates the beginning of it most of my life i've been very bad at reading signals i can't tell the difference between people flirting with me and being nice sometimes. And part of this, I'm going to just not be super accountable and say, it's part of the way I was raised. It's part of the media 
I'm I'm just taught, like I was saying earlier, uh, attention is attention. But also part of this comes from I'm I'm just personally not good at social cues sometimes. How would you say you are on understanding the difference between when somebody's flirting with you and somebody's being nice with you? Is that a distinction that you can discern pretty quickly and accurately? Um, mm, that's tough because I would like to say with confidence that I'm pretty good at being able to tell when someone is just being nice to me and when someone is interested in me. But I think it also depends on your level of attraction to the person. Um, okay. Because if you are really attracted to someone, you are more concerned with how you're coming across to them than how they are actually communicating with you. So uh, you might not pick up on some things that they are saying that are flirty, or you might overanalyze something. You might think that they are being flirty when they aren't being flirty. It's, it's a lot harder to pick up signals when you're nervous, and typically people are nervous when they're attracted to someone because they want to impress them. <laughs> um, but if you're not attracted to someone and they flirt with you it's usually pretty easy to tell and it'll be annoying yes. um <laughs> at least in my personal experience because i as someone who works in a very social industry mm -hmm. um i man this sounds super conceited i get hit on a lot though and it gets exhausting it it gets really fucking exhausting and being able to tell the difference between when someone's being nice to me and when someone's hitting on me is like, it's yeah. a lot harder to do on the internet too. I guess there are a lot of things that matter. Context is very important in this very specific like question, because if you're face to face with someone, um, it'll be easier to tell because of body language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're making a lot of eye contact with you, actually, no, you know what? None of that science is science. Okay. Because I have a hard time looking people in the eyes. You don't believe and in body language is science. I mean, some of it, yes, but some of it, no, because the things that they say should portray certain types of like emotions or feelings or something are, are not like, I don't use that body language. So I bite my lip when I'm nervous, not when I'm flirty. Um, because I feel like if I tried to bite my lip in a flirty way, I would look really fucking cringy. So I don't do it in a flirty way, but other people do. I don't wink at people. Um, I am really bad at eye contact. I do not play with my hair cause I don't have hair. Um, and when I cross my arms, I do it to feel more secure as opposed to, mm -hmm coming across as like don't approach me it's not it's not a way of like i don't want to have a conversation it's a way of like this makes me feel safe and comfortable and i can have conversations with people so the the like i don't know it's hard it's so a, that's a hard question because historically over really your life what have you done uh let's let's go over body language and stuff like that do you have any things that you do actively do when you were being flirty uh i laugh a lot I think that's I think that's a pretty general one though. Uh, you do to laugh see, at things that are not funny. Is that? Yes, but also I laugh when I'm scared, and 
and I laugh when I'm mad. So it's really hard to tell if I'm being flirty or if I'm scared or if I'm angry because I laugh during all three of those situations. So am, um, I, am, I, am I just uh, not giving myself enough credit when I said that over my life, I've had a hard time knowing when people are being flirty or just nice because maybe I'm running into people that uh, give the exact same signal no matter what extreme emotion they're experiencing. <laughs> I don't want to say that you can compare me to most people because... Are you scared right now because you're different. laughing on me? No, no, I'm not scared oh, right now. <laughs> okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like an isolated behavior that I only do when I'm flirting. Okay. Uh, I will be very blunt. I'm not so much afraid of rejection as a grown woman as I was when I was younger. I will just straight up hit on someone. Like, you're very attractive. I'm very attracted to you. You have a handsome face or you have... Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good. Are we still there? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, it says I lost connection. Did it? I'm still I'm still recording on this side. Okay, and you can still hear me, so we're fine. I can. I think you just got nervous. You were you were uh, saying stuff that I was going to soundbite into. You're very handsome, and listen to myself <laughs> later. Yeah, but no, I'm a very like because my behaviors are so. Um, I don't have the right word here universal mm -hmm. with emotion um i have to be direct and if i'm not direct i expect people to pick up on that being my like i'm not attracted sure. to you i'm not hitting on you because i'm not telling you that i want to sleep with you oh okay so this is very interesting do you have any other specific body language or behavioral habits or quirks the other way too um I am recording again. I will edit that that mishap out. It was very coincidental timing. If if you're listening, we just got disconnected with our guest and we reconnected. And I think it's very funny timing because I was literally about to ask her, is there anything behaviorally or body language that you do when you want to give people signals that you are not interested? And the internet disconnected. So maybe I should have taken that as a signal that um she did not want to be talking to me right now no no that's not it um if i'm not interested i'll just like say things to make myself unappealing um i do that a lot <laughs> i don't cook i don't clean uh i was gonna start singing a cardi b song <laughs> uh I, no, i've I, seen that I, I've like, you have heard me say these things before. I I am bad at cooking. I don't suck dick. Like there's a long list of things that I say about myself to seem less desirable to people. If I'm not interested in them, I will try to think of things that I think they will not like and say them. Which is hilarious because I've literally seen you do that or or listen uh because on your on your Twitch stream channel where you've uh, interviewed and done uh, sort of like online dating things. Mm -hmm. I have seen 
you. If that was one of my <laughs> earliest interactions, watching you almost point by point give the most negative answers you could mm-hmm. to uh, some people that just seem to not not listen to that feedback or anything. But I'm very consistent with that too. I was doing that to make people know that I wasn't interested when I was like 19. Cause I was at a club once and this dude approached me and he was like, what kind of music do you listen to? And I was like, I don't listen to music. What kind of food do you like? I don't eat food. I am not an eater at all. <laughs> and like, I'm not exaggerating. I said this shit and the dude still didn't pick up on the fact that I was not interested. Um, Sometimes you just got to be really point blank about it. Like, no, dude, leave me the fuck alone. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the few things that I did learn early on that I try to be very good about. Um, I can recognize when somebody is giving you the literal opposite answer to everything you want. That's a big one, too. If you ask what kind of anything they like and they say, I don't really do that, and it's some basic need, mm-hmm. like food. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite smell? <laughs> no, I don't breathe. Uh, I only, you know, I like plain oxygen without being around other people. And talk, like, yeah, that's that's about it. Okay, so on the flip side of what we were talking about earlier too, because I have I have examples of this from my life, but have um, have you ever thought? Wait, no, I guess that was your situation you thought you were on a date with somebody who did not think uh, they were on a date with you. Have you ever experienced the reverse situation of that? Where they thought we were on a date and we were not on a date? Yes. Mm, I don't think so. I'm a pretty good, uh, I'm pretty good at not going and putting myself in situations that are going to get misinterpreted. Like okay. that, that yeah. one instance that I gave to you is the only instance of me misinterpreting what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. And I do not like to mislead people at all. So I'm usually pretty upfront. Like I, this is not, I don't th- know. And I don't typically hang out with people who, who might see it as a date. Like mm-hmm. if they ask me to go do something, I'll just say no. Um, because I don't want them to get the wrong impression. Sure. And that seems very consistent with what you were just saying about you're a very blunt person and and willing to sort of be upfront about that stuff, uh, yeah. which is fine. Because not everybody suffers from all these problems. That's why I like to have these discussions with different kinds of people too. Uh, because a lot of the people in my circle uh, I became friends with because we sort of think similarly and have had the same experiences, but we're always trying to learn from as many different kinds of people with different experiences as we can so i'm very curious as what uh so what are some of your favorite movies or tv shows or stuff i talk about twilight on here with a lot of people and i talk about silver linings playbook and i probably have not seen anything else in it what is your favorite movie of all time um okay i'm gonna give you an answer but i need you to not ask me any questions about it because it's been a very long time since i've seen it okay my favorite movie of all time is memoirs of a geisha um and i remember like the very basic premise of it but i don't remember i i need to go rewatch it netflix released it recently um 
Yep. I was too young to be watching it. I was a little kid. And my grandmother brought it home to me on a DVD because she knew I was an anime and she was an old white lady that didn't know shit about shit. So she just brought this this DVD to me and she was like, here, I got you something that I think you'll like. And I didn't watch it while she was in the room because I don't like watching things with my grandma that are things that she probably won't like. I had no idea what it was, but I knew that she was like Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, soap opera type of lady, and this wasn't anything like that. Um, yeah, like... <laughs> I fell in love with it. It was so complex, and I was young. I had no idea that the world was so um, different. So is, is that what made you drawn to it? Do you remember um, anything about your feelings of why that movie uh, connected with you? I think because it... It was like, um, I have like, uh, okay, so this girl experienced trauma, which was something that I could relate to because I had also experienced trauma. Not the kind that she experienced, very different types, but this idea of a geisha is something that I had been exposed to. Like, not what a geisha actually was, but how they looked. Um, they were very pretty. And I knew that the word was in reference to a woman with that makeup and that dress and that hair, et cetera, et cetera. And I had no idea of what the actual word meant or what happens to a geisha. And when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, this is a lot darker than I ever understood it to be. And up until that point in my life, the only exposure that I had to like the darkness of the world, other than my own personal experience, was uh, a book that I read about a girl whose family was on drugs or something like that, and then that movie. Because all of our cartoons were very like uh, upbeat, happy-go-lucky, like weird shit do you remember what book that was um fuck i could look it up and, fi and find it but i don't remember it off the top of my head okay it was a series oh. though it was like um but was it like a young adult novel or was it you were reading grown-up books oh i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it was a young adult well probably shouldn't have been a young adult novel but i think it was breaking dawn <laughs> I read that. Actually, that book came out after I saw Memoirs of a Geisha. I'm fairly certain. Really? And and so you still like Memoirs of a Geisha better than Breaking Dawn Part 2? Oh, definitely. That's fair. Because it's any movie. <laughs> I, I always say I, I have a very soft spot for the Twilight series, but I do not... Crank. Say that they're... <laughs> crank. That was the name of the book, Crank. Oh, wait. But is that different? Okay, so do you know what film I'm thinking of when you say Crank? No. There was a film, I think it had the uh, the transporter guy, where he had to keep his heart over a certain uh, beats per minute or he would die. He was given some uh, drug by the mob. And so oh, he's... yeah, this was nothing like that. This was completely different. Oh, okay. Well, I have to I'll have to look into that because I'm uh, very interested in stuff like when that. When did this book come out? It was originally published in 2004. 
Now, I didn't read it in 2004. I didn't read it until I was in middle school, which was in like 2000. Probably read it in seventh grade, 2007, three years after it was published. But it, there, it's a trilogy. It's uh, Crank. It's actually, there's a lot of them. There's Crank, Glass, Burned. Uh, there was another one that I saw. I don't remember. Anyways, it really life-changing book because it spoke about drug addiction, which was something that my family went through. Um, and I didn't know that other people experienced all this darkness in the world until I read that book and watched Memoirs of a Geisha. And then I watched 13 after that. And yeah. That's okay. my favorite movie of all time. You, that got completely sidetracked. <laughs> no, this uh, this is exactly what I like to explore because one of the, I like Silver Linings Playbook because um, I find it relatable. Maybe I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? But I think it um, it's a it's a a romance film. And it's got sort of these very optimistic themes in the face of uh, mental illness and sort of um, being hard on yourself and stuff. Uh, and yet there's a real positivity to the overall message. And I think a lot of us are drawn to media that um, we can relate to as some of the things we like the the strongest, right? So I know that you like anime a lot, mm-hmm. which is, is so funny because that seems so different from what uh, we're talking about. Even though I think that's sort of not fair because anime is just Japanese animation and then there is different genres within it yep. too, but it gets labeled as this thing where people are just like, you're into anime. When you can watch a an animated soap opera or fantasy or horror right do you have there any genres are so that you... many different types of anime yeah don't get me started <laughs> are you drawn to any any different genres specifically um, within it i really am a fan of all type all all types um i think probably the type that i like the least is the shonen anime but some of the best animes are shonen <laughs> um I just have a hard time uh, identifying with main characters in those animes, but um, they're still really good. I guess probably my favorite. Fuck, it's got it's definitely fantasy, but I don't know what genre of fantasy it is. I like. What is, there's there's a slight I, possibility I may know what it. Be able to help you with this, but. Okay. I'm waiting. Wait, no. So, what? What is your? You tell me your favorite, and I'll try to figure out what genre it is. Oh, okay. Um, so like, <sighs> demons, vampires, uh, werewolves, like fictional creatures that are not mechs. I don't like robots. Um. Oh, that's so tough because then there's subgenres of that. Like, because I'm getting into yeah. very to paranormal romance now. Mm. That's the the book I wrote, which has to do with that stuff, and yet it's not. I don't. 
feel like paranormal is an appropriate label for that. When I hear paranormal, I think of ghosts and shit. I don't think of like vampires and werewolves. I feel like those are something else. But maybe they are like technically. I, I agree. Have to do more research into what paranormal. I have. So my difficulty in this comes from, and this is a discussion I had with my library writing group recently about defining genres. I have a very difficult time defining genres. But I agree with you because I feel that vampires, werewolves, I feel like there's certain creatures that fall into what we normally think of as the horror genre. And yet some of them are sort of more mythology based, right? Yeah. Like I think vampires and werewolves as two examples sort of come from uh, history and different cultures that had beliefs in these sort of uh, monster creatures and then you have ghosts and stuff, which which comes from a belief of of like a different kind of existence, almost like a metaphysical or a philosophical belief. But there's a, a more current element to that as well. So I think there's sort of a differentiation that could take place between those two things. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, well, this has been so fantastic uh this is more content than i usually ever have for something like this i first off would like to thank you for coming on silver Lines playcast uh it was wonderful to have you i hope you will be a guest on here again because we we could discuss a billion other things about this two-hour movie mm-hmm. and other things I want to give you an opportunity really quick. Is there anything that you would like to promote or where people can find you? I will put all the ways to contact uh, your accounts in the show notes. Nope, not at all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And we uh, will have you back if you'll be willing to come back. And I would like to say uh, thank you, all your list, all all the listener, um, Chip. If you're listening, what's up, man? I will get in contact with you. Uh, and to anybody else that may accidentally find this podcast, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back this week, next week, and every week with more content about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Until next time, we will si- see you all down the road. And Excelsior.